This is Apostle William Kevin Britt from First Century Christ Church International Divinity College. You're listening to Through the Bible in One Year. This is Lesson 2. There's a total of 52 lessons. Each lesson covers a section of the Bible. By the end of the 52nd lesson, you'll have covered the whole Bible. It's equivalent to an institute certificate in most seminaries. With our Bible college, you'd receive a diploma for that first year. You could also press on to go through your second, third, and fourth year and get a bachelor's in divinity. Uh, at any stopping point after the first year, you'd receive an associate's degree in divinity. I hope you enjoy listening to this lesson and if you'd like to connect with us, you can just connect with me at www.facebook.com slash apostle. You can find out how to connect with the school. All right. Be blessed. Praise the Lord. God bless you all. This is Apostle Kevin Britt from First Century Christ Church International. This is our Divinity College. We're blessed to be here with the pastors from Philadelphia, Pastor C and Pastor AK. Amen. Praise God. And we also have Ernest here from Maryland. Praise the Lord. Everybody keep Ernest in prayer because he's in consecration for his pastoral ordination. Uh, Ernest operates in a very strong apostolic anointing, but in that initial planting, there's going to be an elevation to pastoralship. And so he's in consecration and for revelation in that movement. So everybody watching, please keep him in prayer. Praise the Lord. Also, we have Pastor Jennifer, who is also monitoring the chat line. So if you type in things in the comments, uh, Pastor Jennifer will might respond to you or she might even illuminate to me that we need to respond from this area here. Uh, first order of correction is probably the title of this live says something about lesson one because I don't think I changed the title. This is actually lesson two. So this is semester one, lesson two. We're in the institute phase of the college. So this is the through the Bible in one year. And this is the second lesson we'll be picking up. Uh, from uh, some deeper books in the book of Genesis, okay? Also, um, we have possibly visiting us from the Torah Club, uh, uh, Sister Satoon might also be watching if she sees it live or if she sees the recording. We just want to say blessings to you, woman of God, and welcome for fellowshipping with us today. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, other bro brother Jason, also from the Torah Club, might be visiting us and, and listening with us today. And so we want to just uh, shout out to him and say, God bless you as well. I did get, by the way, those notes you sent me, brother Jason, they're very awesome notes. I think ultimately we should probably share that with the whole club. Um, I want to just kind of quickly allow for the pastors in Philly to introduce themselves to those who might not know them, also introduce their ministry. They have a powerful ministry in Philadelphia. I strongly suggest that you seek them out on Facebook and seek to connect with them on a ministry level. We need to get me to break down those ministry affliction boundaries and start spreading out and start fellowshipping across the board. So I'm going to turn it over to Pastor C and Pastor AK to discuss their ministry and their vision. Amen, amen. What's going on? Good afternoon, my brothers and sisters of Christ. Uh, I'm Pastor AK from the Church of Philly. Me and my wife are co-pastors of the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Philly. And um, my bio is real short. I just uh, answered the calling that the Lord called me to do, walk into my calling, and that's what I'm doing faithfully, trusting that it is Him that is working through me and it's not through me. So it's a journey that I'm on, and I'm thankful because there's out there's souls out here that's lost, and I'm with it. I'm with it to get it. I'm in it to win it. Amen, amen. 
Yeah, I'm Pastor C. Um, like my husband said, we're the pastors of the Church Philly. You can follow us at the Church Philly on Facebook, Instagram, the website. Um, it's just the Church Philly. And so everywhere, that's everywhere that you can find us. And we will be thankful to have you all. And we just want to thank Apostle Kevin and Ernest um, for both having us here on Be Live today to be able to listen into this teaching and give input where the Lord allows. Praise God. Praise God. And okay. Ernest is there in Maryland. He's supporting us in this ministry offer effort as well. Ernest, you, hey, you know, I, I keep blowing him up. He does not know that I'm announcing that he's about to be ordained. He doesn't know that what God has given as visions for us to do in elevating him in the Lord. So I got to catch him off guard every time I do it. But uh, Ernest, you want to share a little bit of vision, insights, reflections? Amen. Or, or, uh, ordinations are meant to be public. Praise God. Amen. Um I just, I just want to um, basically say, uh, man, it's an honor to be here today to uh, go through this teaching. I myself am learning as well. I'm getting a plethora of re revelations, um, uh, literally life altering, um, breaking down. I'm doing a lot of unlearning um, and, and re restructuring my base in my relationship and who I am called to be in the Lord. So I, I just thank you for this um i thank you i know this is is a sacrifice i know some things had to be put on hold so that we could be here and do this so i, I want to thank you for this and don't want to take this for granted i i am currently in maryland um perfectly we'll be doing a church plant uh soon Praise God. Amen. 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 And that's what it's all about. And so I want to tell you as an apostle, I've seen a lot of ministry in my life. And I can tell you that what's ser seriously missing in the body of Christ is authenticity. And I can testify concerning these brothers and sisters that are on the line that they're authentic. And authenticity is extremely valuable because the spirit of God works the strongest in authenticity and proper organic development. Too much contrived ministry cuts the movement of the spirit out and puts the mind of man at work. So praise the Lord. I want to just go over a little bit of a review of what we've covered so far. So we are currently right now going to be covering Genesis chapter six, verse nine through Genesis chapter 11, verse 32. Prior to that, last week, we covered Genesis chapter one through Genesis chapter five. And we want to just do a quick review because everything, when we discussed last week, everything that we discuss, everything that we read in the word of God has some reference to something in the book of Genesis, and that's Genesis 3.15. Okay, so Genesis 1, we have the creation story. We have God creating man in his likeness and in his image, male and female, he's creating them. Last week, we discussed some of the supernatural revelations about man being made in the image of God. Uh, we talked to some extent about the revelation of the role of the woman in the image of God, the man in the image of God, and how the two of them represent a great magnification of the multiple, multifaceted nature of God himself. A lot of women, I think, struggle with the idea of them being in the image of God because a lot of Christianity kind of teaches that man was made in the image of God and woman was made in the image of man. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said, man was made in the image of God and to glorify God and woman was made to glorify man. But in the context of making, expanding man 
man's image of God. So women have a role in being part of that image of God. And we discussed that, and we're going to be discussing that more and more and more as we press forward, because the revelation of that is prophetic and profound. So we covered that, and then we covered the fall of man in chapter 3, and we discussed how God gave a prophecy, right? Genesis 3.15, that I put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. And he would crush your head and you would bruise his heel. And we talked about the role that that prophecy plays in the rest of the Bible. In fact, the whole existence of the Bible is to reveal the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. So uh, a lot of people struggle with studying the Bible and learning the Bible. And they struggle with studying the Bible. and They struggle with learning the Bible because they don't understand that the Bible is a contiguous epic story of the fall and rise of man at the hand of God and how that story plays out. So I think uh, not too long ago, they had uh, the, the Lord of the Rings was like the biggest movie. I mean, it won every award you could think of. And there's nothing more epic a story than the story of God saying, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. It's not only an epic story, it's an epic reality that we're all living today. Praise God. So that's just my part of the review of last week. I'm going to open it up now to uh, the pastors in Philly if they want to share anything on, uh, as a reflection from last week's lesson. They were very powerful in helping us with that, le that lecture as well. If they have anything they would like to speak on last week's lecture as a review. Um, I think that um, what the blessing was was a few things that Apostle uh, called out last week in reference to the covenant. Um, that God made with um, Noah um, when he got off of the boat. And so um, what we did talk about was the, the, the fact that the rainbow was this, this beautiful covenant between Noah and um, God. But the, beautiful, the most beautiful thing about the covenant was that Noah was supposed to have a piece of that covenant that he was supposed to be um, executing. And every time he did not execute that covenant, God will put that bow in the sky to let him know that even though you can't keep your end of the bargain, I will always keep mine. And so um, that was something that we learned. And um, also in reference to, um, you know, the image and likeness of God and, and God made them um, in the image and likeness of God. And so understanding that women and men were made in the image and likeness of God and where the disconnect happened, how the desire of a woman would be contrary to her husband and he would rule over her. So they went from a place of having the same desires, the same likeness, the same will. And then when the fall happened, the desire was split and the wills were split. And so that's where we find that, that almost that idea of men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And that was not always. So we were, we were, we were same willed, same desired because we were both under the will of God. And when the sin happened, um, the will and the desire was split. And I think all of that being identified um, also helps with this, with understanding how we um, as a body of believers are constantly attacked. But the reason in which we needed Jesus to in, in, in unfolding the biblical story of Jesus to see why we, we needed him to to solve the issue of, of sin um, and be, become back into the will of God. Amen.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, um, Pat, Pat, Pastor A went, excuse me, Pastor C went into last week and this week, but so that, that much is good because it brings us to another point. Uh, we do these sessions two times, one in a Zoom. Okay. That's of course going to allow a lot more dialogue for a lot more people. And then another in a public Facebook live. So we do it twice a week because people have lives and sometimes they can't make the Wednesday Zoom. So we give them another time to plug in for the school. And then some of you are watching this possibly for the first time and you're getting a chance to audit. And if you actually want to join the school, you make a comment and you'll be able to, to, to join the school. Welcome. Uh, Pastor Ferris from Texas is on the line. Praise God. I see your comment there. In fact, if you want to just shout out and say hello that you're here, by all means, to whatever you put in the text, we'll, we'll see it and we'll definitely acknowledge you. Uh, so uh, Sunday is the backup of Wednesday. And technically, we're in a new week, but um, we're, some of you have heard about the talk on Noah Check Six Forward. Some of you haven't. Um, so Sunday is the the recap of Wednesday, and then um, last week for us last week would be the previous Sunday, which ended at Chapter Five. But we're all on the same page with this. Uh, my, my video does go out from time to time. My sound probably is fine, but my video is not. Just give me a second and it'll fix. Praise the Lord. Uh, and Ernest, you are um, inverted. Your color is like negative. God bless you, Brother John. John Hansen. Um, excuse me, Brother Jason. He's fine on our end. Oh, he is? Okay, so this video is on my side. Then it's then there's something wrong on my on my side. I don't know. It looks like a negative image, but good. As long as he's good on the live presentation. And yes, yeah, so yes, Jason Hansman is on a part of from our Torah Club. So we want to just say hi to him. He's joining us today. Hello. Praise God. Yes. Amen. Amen. We're gonna have a we have a conversation, Jason. We might pull you on the panel at some point. <laughs> Praise God. Um, so I just wanted to say that um the most powerful part of last week's message that the pastor was bringing out is that whole concept of, thanks Jason, he said the video looks good on the Facebook, All, the whole concept that men are not from Mars and women are from Venus, that's a fallen condition, not a supernatural condition of the ascension, hallelujah. And that's a very powerful, powerful takeaway. Understand that the purpose of this college is to educate you concerning the spirit of God. Amen. And so we are going to take a collegiate approach from one standpoint. But the revelation of the awakening of the divine nature is infinitely more important than tidbits of knowledge. We're going to give you the knowledge but we're going to give you the knowledge in the context of the spirit so that within the spirit, you have something awakening with you. And one of the reasons why we've brought the pastors here to also be on the Be Live is because they have a very powerful prophetic anointing to release things in a prophetic context. So you test spirits, you test spirits. The Bible says test every spirit. But after you test the spirit, if the spirit is of God, it says you accept it. That which is not of God, you reject it. So please don't come here with a purely academic mindset. You'll totally miss the mark. You're here to grow in a supernatural context by the hand of the wisdom of the teaching of the Lord. I'm also going to open it up to Ernest. Ernest, did you want to share any reflections from last Sunday's co coverage of, of, of the scriptures? Uh, if you Can you guys hear him? Because I can't. 
None of us can hear you, Ernest. Praise God. So while he's working on his sound, while he's working on his sound and trying to get that worked out, um, we'll open up another opportunity for him to, to share as we get that technical difficulty resolved. Uh, it looks like he's getting there with it. Okay, so while he's doing that, I want to discuss something very important here. There's a learning aspect here that we need to be careful about. To this week, we're going to discuss Genesis chapter 6 through Genesis chapter 11:32, And there's a powerful experience that you're going to have, which might run conflictual to dogmatic traditional church ministry. And so before somebody else tells you, these people sound her heretical or crazy, I'm going to tell you. Some of these things may seem to you to be uh, heretical or crazy, but they're not heretical, nor are they crazy. You need to open your mind to learning. One of the things you'll find, this is not, this is not Sunday school, this is college, okay? So in Sunday school, we teach you dogma. In college, we teach you revelatory factual information. Some of the greatest theologians in history, if you go in their library, have a whole lot of historical and non-canonical books to help enlighten them on things that are discussed in the canon, okay? So I want you to understand that when we discuss these matters, I'm going to change the view screw settings again. When we discuss these matters, don't summarily dismiss it because it's not something you were taught in Sunday school. Do the research for yourself. It says that the sons of God, we're talking about angels, step down from heaven. And the sons of God stepped down from heaven and took wives. And it says they not only did it before the flood, they also did it after the flood. So we know that angelic host did leave their assigned place and just dwell upon the earth amongst men. They did it before the flood. And the scripture says they did it after the flood. We also know that in the book of Daniel, it talks about the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia was not a person. It was a demonic principality holding up an angel that was going to talk to Daniel. We know that Satan took down one third of the angelic host. So there was already dispute amongst the angelic hosts in heaven. If you read the book of first Enoch, which most people accept as um, having a degree of historical accuracy, Though it was not canonized, it was part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there are many other books that are part of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were not necessarily considered part of the scriptural canon, but that didn't mean they didn't provide insight and, and knowledge. For instance, a lot of people don't even realize that in the book of Jude, I'm sorry, it'll come back in one moment. I'm sorry, saints. In the book of Jude, it makes reference to the book of Enoch. So I'm only saying that because as we discuss these things, the pastors may go into a prophetic, they may release some wisdom. Just because you didn't learn it in Sunday school, 
don't just go, oh, wow, they're going in an area I never heard of in Christ. It's good to be thoughtful. It's good to do your own research and it's good to inquire, but don't just summarily dismiss and don't allow somebody else to get you to summarily submiss. You're not in Sunday school. You're in college. <laughs> Praise God. So having said that, we're going to discuss the main subject and we're going to discuss uh, Genesis chapter six through eight, which discusses the flood. And one of the things it says there um, is, is, I guess it make a perfect segue. It says, in those days, the sons of God left their assigned position and took wives that the wives they took gave birth to children. Those children were referred to as the Nephilim. It says these were men of renowned, great men, men of authority and power. This affected the earth and caused God also to see that the behavior of all mankind became wicked, which would only somewhat make sense since they were looking up to these Nephilim who were aberrations of what God had desired to create. They were already admiring that which was not of God. Okay, and so on this segment, I'm going to ask for Pastor C, because we discussed this a little bit on the Wednesday segment, for her to release some of the wisdom that God has incited to her in regards to the whole issue of the Nephilim and the fallen angels and that whole scene right before the, 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 the actual flood. So I just want to make sure we're talking about the Tower of Babel, right? No, 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 no. We're now we're talking about the pre-flood fall. If, if you want to wait until Tower of Babel to discuss that part, that's fine too. Um, so you're 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 you want to discuss the Nephilim part? Yes, the fallen angels and the Nephilim. I, I was under the impression that you ran a reflection on that part, but you're right. Your reflection was on the Tower of Babel. If you yeah. want to, right. So we'll wait for the Tower of Babel segment then, and we'll discuss that part then. Got you, got you. Okay. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah. Okay. So, um. One of the things that we know about in the flood is that it says God's heart was grieved. His heart was grieved because man starts for wicked all the time. On Wednesday, we focused a lot on the prophetic revelations. Today, I want to emphasize another aspect of it. Thank you, brother. Uh, brother Jason Hansen's putting in there the book of Jasher, the Jubilees, Enoch give a lot of insight. So it's a little comments down there. Powerful, powerful. Now, mind you, when you are reading these apocryphal books, understand that during the dead in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they had two sections. When they dug up the findings, they found two distinct sections. One section was scrolls of scripture. Another section was scrolls of pure history. So they clearly made a distinction between that which they considered inerrant and just to be accepted and that which was interesting, could provide information, could give insight, but it had to be compared against scripture in order to gain revelation. So when you're evaluating these apocryphal mm -hmm. books, because somehow apocryphal just kind of means excluded or extra or hidden. Technically, the word apocrypha means hidden. But somehow we got to a place in the church now where apocrypha means heretic, heresy. So people hear apocrypha. Oh, my God, that must be a heresy. No, apocrypha just means hidden, hidden because they either thought it was too lofty for the saints to comprehend or they felt there was some conflict. And then there were some books that they actually totally rejected as being uh, fake, totally false. So I just want to tap in on what uh, Brother Hansen posted there in the comments. And also, uh, I want to follow up with what you said in, in, in agreement that they you have to be very weary when you read some of those books because 
um, some of them, like you said, were totally rejected because they they totally go against the biblical, the, the Bible in the history. Um, and so you have to understand the difference between what we consider the inspired word of God and um, books that are, like you said, what you consider more um, more of, of, of like poetic style type books that were known during that time. People would have understood them during that time, but they wouldn't have looked at them as the word of God. And when you compare the two, you can kind of say, like, um, you can read a Michael Henry commentary and you can pull out the commentary. And even though the commentary is breaking down scripture, we don't consider the commentary the inspired word of God, even though the commentary is breaking down scripture. But we, we wouldn't say that came directly from the Lord. It's authoritative in the way in which it came from the Lord. We know that the scripture is authoritative. We have to, like you said, apostle, put the commentary next to scripture to make sure that it aligns with the word of God and check it. But we have to make sure that we're not getting into a place where we're reading a whole bunch of books and we're taking everything as true when a lot of those things were books just like you know bedtime stories everybody might have known it it might had some like you were talking about apostle last week in reference to milan we know mulan the, the story in and of itself is not you know wouldn't be considered a christian story you know it's witchcraft mm -hmm. and all those other things but you can take things outside of it that um clearly kind of speak to certain biblical principles so you wouldn't call Milan the story a Christian story, <laughs> but you would say, hey, I can see God in that. You know what I'm saying? So you just have to be very careful on what you consider inspired, historical, and some text that was just known and will help you understand the culture during that time. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And now you know why the pastors are here. <laughs> Praise God. I love the community of the believers. And so... For those of you who joined us late, we're covering the book of Genesis. This is a through the Bible in one year Bible college, which you can participate in. If you're interested, you can just put a comment there. We respond to all questions and we respond to all comments. If you put that you're interested in the school, we will inbox you information and allow you to watch the orientation videos and whatever uh, background videos you might need to uh watch in order to be connected with us amen but we're discussing the book of genesis and we are laboring heavily in this part because it's foundational what's going to happen is a shift in your consciousness if you've been dogmatically introduced to christianity and you've been following i'm using this in a figure of speech your mother's jesus but you don't have a jesus of your own i'm talking to you in the prophetic and you've been always following mama's jesus in this divinity college you're going to learn the relationship is live and real and in person. So he's not your mama's Jesus. He's your Jesus. He's everybody's Jesus. He's Yeshua to us all. And if we have accepted him, then there's no veil covering the face of Moses because of the light of the glory coming off of his face. But the veil has been removed. And now you have the boldness to stand before your father yourself. So we spend a lot of time in these foundational pieces to ignite your consciousness and to ignite your spirit so that you're not just getting more information like what you got in Sunday school an indoctrination or reincantation of a belief system. So you're following a man, but you're not following a living presence of the spirit within. So we labor long on these foundational pieces for that. That point so we have not digressed off the topic but converse but but uh, but uh, but actually to the opposite we have focused very heavily on the topic which is that you have a firm and solid foundation for the faith that you have in Christ Yeshua 
For those of you who are not familiar with our ministry, you may hear me use Yeshua and Jesus. It's because Yeshua is the pronunciation of his name in Hebrew. I like to refer to him as Yeshua, but we know him in English as Jesus. We are referring to the same person. Amen. And I'm not saying you have to use a divine name to get special powers. So we're not promoting a divine name ministry strategy here as well. And so what I want to touch on, though, this week and this particular session is God's concern for social justice. A lot of us are concerned about how God perceives us and we're concerned about our relationship towards God. But do we consciously in the forefront of our consciousness acknowledge that God is greatly affected by our relationship with each other? And so you see this here because when he said man's thoughts were wicked all the time, he wasn't just talking about thoughts of them not making sacrifices to him, thoughts of them not worshiping him, thoughts of not. He was talking about robbery, murder, uh, human dis abuse, human dislike, hatred, mm -hmm. violence. So can we see that God is deeply concerned with social justice? A lot of us, I think when we come to God, I know I did when I came to God, my biggest was concern was not breaking the Ten Commandments. And it had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with him. But I didn't really pay attention to the fact that the rules he gave me mostly had to do with building social righteousness amongst each other. And later even Christ comes and says, right, what does he say? He says, a new, well, John said it, a new commandment I give you, right? Love one another. Actually, Christ and John said it. And Christ also said, this is how they'll know you are my disciple. By the way, you love one another. That revelation could also be drawn out of the Noah story. Because the main reason why he wanted to bring a flood on the earth is because their thoughts were wicked all the time. Who were they following? They were following these Nephilim. Big, strong, mighty men, larger than life. They were worshiping the created things over the creator, and it caused dysfunction amongst mankind. Does anybody on the panel want to share about that? Any? Praise God. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. Praise God. Can you hear us? Yes, yes, I can hear you. Um, no, I think um, once somebody once explained it to me, they say you have to think about man in his uh, his original state, uh, for lack of better terms, somewhat a savage, um, realizing that he can do and go and come as he pleases. Um, and once um, Pastor C said that about in the beginning, when the enemy got us to use our own conscience, stepping outside of the uh, Holy Spirit, then it was just like, well, what do you, you know, it's, there's no limit literally to what we can do. So I think uh, with that being said, man went wayward really fast. And as you said, um, the Lord said, basically, I'm not going to contend with man um, for this law. I'm not going to actually, I think he said flesh. I'm not going to contend with their flesh. 
Uh, so we're cutting their life expectancy down to 120 years um, versus when you have people like Adam and stuff living 900 years and things like that. So with that being said, it goes to show just how wavering and how, how uh, unlawful the world was and why God had to bring a just system. And just as simple as Cain and Abel, as we discussed, I don't like your, he gave a good offer. I didn't want to give a good offer. I don't like that. He's dead. So I think, and that's why uh, the Lord had to come up with the just system. And as we see um, one of the, um, one of the commandments he gave to Noah coming out of the, coming out of the flood was, uh, you know, blood is spilled. There has to be justice for that. Sorry, Pastor. I'm sorry, you were going to weigh in as well. It looked like you were going to say something. No, no, I was just in a um, in agreement with what you know Ernest said. Um, you know, I'm in agreement with what's, what's being discussed right now. Praise God. Praise God. And so the social justice era, the era in social justice, had a profound impact on God so much that he regretted making man. And I think a lot of times we think about God like he's like a computer program. You, you plug in your sins and your repentances and then a number comes out and then you're either in or out. But God is a person. He has emotion. He feels a certain way about things. And through those feelings that he has, he ultimately decides actions based on how he feels about things. Of course, his actions are all based on justice. It's not his arbitrary fickle emotion, but he does have feelings. And I want to emphasize this, and this is really important. He said, I regret having made man. I'm mournful of man's creation. So social injustice invoked pain in God. And if you're a parent and you see your kids fighting with each other, I know I struggle with that. Every time I see my son and daughter arguing, I look at them. I keep saying, I hate when the two of you are fighting with each other, your sister and brother, but we're not all of those people in Noah's time, even more the conscious of the fact that they were sisters and brothers and cousins of each other. Yet it yeah, held no caring with them. They still engaged in social injustice. So we can even see in the time of Noah, God's heart of love, his compassion. So God creates an ark and he puts mankind, he puts Noah in the ark in saving Noah, he kept alive Genesis 3.15, right? The redemption of mankind. And when he comes out, they create a covenant. And it's a covenant of Noah. In, the, in Noah's covenant, okay, there was an agreement. Well, there was no agreement. God basically told Noah what he wanted him to do. What did he say? He said, I don't want you to eat meat with the life's blood still in it. I don't, I don't approve of murder. Wherever there's a murder, there must be an accounting for that, right? And then he told man that he would have the ability at that point to consume meat. Now, ultimately, uh, Jewish culture interjected a few more points to the covenant of Noah. Those points included uh, not involved in sexual immorality and also uh, not involved in theft. These were the guidelines by which the covenant of Noah was perceived to apply to the Gentiles, even during the Jews' time dealing 
the Semites, their view of the Gentiles as if they abided by the covenant of Noah, then they were in alignment with God from that perspective. They still weren't God's chosen people, but they were in alignment. Why is this important? What happens in uh, uh, Acts chapter 15 when they have to discuss the requirements that are binding to um, I'm going to ask only because there seems to be some feedback. If, if those on the panel could just mute their side when we're not active, when they're not actively talking, so that we can reduce the background noise. Excellent, um, uh, excellent. That that works. And then when you're going to speak, you you unmute yourself. So this is very 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 powerful because in Acts chapter 15, when the dispute came up about what the Gentiles should follow. Now, guys, this is where you're gonna get your, your, your college education's worth here. A lot of people think the issue was just Gentiles following the law or not following the law. But the issue was really more an issue of conversion. See, the law to the Gentiles, as far as the Jews was concerned, was the covenant of Noah. The law to the Semites was the Levitical laws. So when the Gentiles were led into the kingdom of God, the question was, did they have to convert to Judaism? Did they have to be circumcised, right? And did they have to come into full subjection to the Levitical law? So the reality is that this discussion in the Council of Jerusalem became a big argument. The argument have resulted in the revelation that the Gentiles should only be mandated to be binding to the laws of Noah. But that didn't negate the value in learning the Torah and to allow themselves to be exposed to the edification of the teachings of the Torah. This is very important because a lot of times I had a lot of friends ask me, they see me connecting with certain messianic root movements and they go, well, what are you trying to do now? You're trying to subject the Gentiles to the law. You're trying to say everybody's got to obey the law. No, that argument was already settled 2000 years ago, but the issue was more an issue of conversion than it was an issue of whether the law had value to your life. The law has value to your life because as we see, even in the story of Noah, which is part of the Torah, Okay, let's get this straight. When we refer to the law, we're talking about the first five books of Moses. The Levitical laws are in Leviticus, but the first five books of Moses is the Torah. And we short we, we use a short phrase to refer to it as the law. But if you don't know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's very hard to even understand what we currently refer to as the New Testament because you don't have a right foundation. All right. So a lot of people want to reject the study of the Torah, because they believe that that's a subjecting to the law. But the issue was not a subjecting to the law. The issue was what's required for salvation, what's binding for salvation. And what was binding for salvation for the Gentiles was faith and the covenant of Noah. That's what's binding on the Gentiles. They did not have to convert to Judaism to be spiritual Jews. But also James in Acts chapter seven, Acts chapter 15 says, the law is read every single week. So it was expected for the Gentiles to know the books of the Torah, but those books were not binding as a means of salvation. Okay, praise God, James, that's, that's yeah, James Hansen just put what James said in, um, 
the book of Acts chapter 15. So why is this important? Again, we're not coming off track. We're very much on track. We're reading about the flood. We're reading why God created the flood. We're reading what grieved God's heart. Now Noah comes out of the ark. When Noah comes out of the ark, here we are now with God telling Noah, now this is what I want y'all to do moving forward. Now, the Semitic, the Semitic tribes did not exist yet. The sons of Abraham did not exist yet. The chosen people had not been picked yet. So when Noah received the covenant of Noah, that was not just binding on the Jews. That covenant was binding on all of mankind alive after Noah's time, which would make it binding to the Gentiles. So given that the Gentiles were not born Jewish, given the covenant of Judaism, the argument was they really are only bound by covenant to the covenant of Noah. They're going to learn the law because the law is preached every Sabbath. But it's not going to be mandatory for their salvation. Meaning that as you as we do get to the books of Leviticus, you read some of those laws, you're reading them for knowledge, but it's the spirit of God that's going to convict you individually about what of these things you should apply. And this leads us to a book that didn't make the canon because it was redacted. If you do a study on what made the canon, one thing that would make you uncanonical is if you were a redacted writings, even though there's some argument that some of the books in the canon are redacted. But redacted means paraphrased or uh, pieces were found and then another author wrote segues to tie the pieces together. So you got piece A and piece C, and somebody inserted B, either from oral tradition. So the author's original work is not completely intact. Somebody at an intermediary picked up the work, gave the author credit for the work, but then through either oral tradition or some other means, added some stuff. <laughs> okay. The book I'm referring to is the Didac, is the Didacit. The Daki, that people pronounce it a lot of different ways. And the that piece of that 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 book talks about something very interesting. It says, where the law applies in your heart, then let it apply. This again has to do with I've got my 66 canonical books, remember what the pastor said, and now I've got this the docket. And this the docket has been around for a while. Uh, or the Didache, I think that's the more proper pronunciation. The Didache has been around for a while and it was followed by early Christians. Let me read this and see what information I can draw from it. Okay. And the information, yes, real up, you, you can get it online in a PDF when a person commented, I've never read that. And it talks about, uh, it's supposed to be a list of writings from the apostles giving direction to the Gentiles about how to reconcile the books of Moses against their walk as Gentiles. So we're going in some heavy stuff. And what we're saying is God was concerned about social justice. He didn't just pop up concerned about social justice when he called Abraham. He created a flood because of the absence of social justice. He flooded the entire earth as a result of an absence of social justice. He ultimately had to create, as Pastor C was saying, this rainbow to remind himself not to wage war against man again because of injustice. 
We know also, right, that he sent Jonah to the Ninevites, which he didn't want to go because the Ninevites were hated people by the Jews because of the persecution they had done to the Jews. And he didn't want them saved. And he knew that if he preached them, they'd repent. And God said, there are millions of people, including cattle and livestock in this place. Should I not also care about them? And these Ninevites were not Jews. So we're learning here, even in these early chapters of Genesis, that God had a great expectation in the redemption of man. And his plan was always to save all of mankind, maybe coming from different places of sanctification, but all of mankind was to be redeemed. And we get a lot of that if, as we're studying the word of God, we recall Genesis chapter 6, verse uh, uh, 6, 9, moving on towards 1132. Now, before we go on to Genesis 10, no, we're going to go on. In Genesis 10, it talks about the table of the nations. And we notice that in the table of the nations, they're talking a lot about the um, ascension of, 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 of the Semites, the descendants of Shem, specifically as it trails to Abraham. And then it also goes on to talk about the Tower of Babel. And in our Wednesday discussion on this, Pastor C went in hard on the, the Noah and the bow and the Tower of Babel. You got a little touch of it, but I'd like her to re, re, uh, go, go through that piece again for the saints today. Okay, so Apostle uh, basically brought up the Tower of Babel and basically how we were scattered. And Apostle, I would like you to start off with that and then I'll segue just kind of how the Tower of Babel discussion started. And then I'll segue into um, what was really kind of happening behind the scenes that we don't see in the Tower of Babel. So the part where you were kind of discussing, okay, they, they tried to you know build up this tower, what, what they were really trying to do um, the, the gods, God speaking, not only to himself, but, um, to the heavenly host about, um, what they were trying to accomplish. And if they, as in the heavenly host allowed them to accomplish what they would do that, that kind of discussion. And then I'll talk about kind of what was happening on the back end. Praise God. Praise God. And as I said, we'll do that. And so the, the key here is that the Tower of Babel, it says something very interesting. If you've read your scriptures, you're supposed to have read the scriptures before we come here, but if you didn't read them, we'll help you out. God says, look, with them all as one language, they are now, look at what they're doing. If we let them do this, there'll be nothing they can't do. Well, what were they doing? They wanted to stay local. They said, look, we're all of one language. If Let's not spread out. Let's all remain in one place and let us erect this tower up into the heavens. So God's reply as he was observing what they were doing, he was saying, if I let them do this, there'll be nothing they can't do. Now we know for a fact that God is almighty and it'd have been plenty that they couldn't do. He just flooded them. He could bring fire. He could bring rain. He could bring anything. He There's plenty they can't do. What he was saying was, I already have in my mind how I'm planning to fulfill Genesis 3.15. I already have in my mind how I'm planning to fulfill this mission. And if I let them stay of one government, of one national structure, of one governmental power structure, there'll be nothing they can't do to stop me from what I was going to do about the redemption of man. So he confused their languages to force a dispersion. 
Now, I want you to see as it was in the beginning, so it will be again. So as it was, so as it is. The mind of man is unchanged. God may have hindered them from building the Tower of Babel back then, but in a prophetic typology, are they not also building a Tower of Babel now? Aren't they now trying to become one government and build a name for themselves and dominate the whole world? And don't we as disciples see the threat associated with them having one government governing the whole world? And then when they say you can't do this or you can't do that, there's no place on the entire planet you can go because no matter where you go, they'll be able to rule over you. Most of us who have a prophetic eye see this one world order coming into play. So God's allowing them to do it now because Christ has already come and the and this is that's the end time has is, is, is at hand. But when they wanted to do it back then, he was at a different part of his prophetic plan. And at that different part of his prophetic plan, he did not want to see this manifest. Okay. Is this the place where you wanted to come in, Pastor C? Yes. And so when we were discussing that, um, um, the apostle was talking about how it just was, it was this, basically it was this discussion that was kind of happening in heaven. And so, um, you know, where the discussion, he, he kind of segue to, um, cause we begin to talk about in Genesis where God was talking about, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And we were talking about in the Hebrew language, how, um, there was the plurality of Elohim and, um, Normally, when you look at this Elohim, it's not really talking about the plurality of just God himself, because God himself is already spoken in a in, in a, a, a sense of plurality when they know that he is one God operating in three persons. But he wasn't truly talking just to himself. He was talking to the sons of God. He was talking to the heavenly family. We find this, um, and I know I was supposed to bring scriptures, but I do have scriptures this time. Um, um, I think it starts in Ephesians 14 through 15. Um, just if anybody doesn't believe that God, that there was a heavenly family before there was an earthly family. Um, if you look at Ephesians 14 and 15, let me pull it up. Um And if anybody finds it before me, you can read it out, but I just want to read it straight from. Ephesians 3, four, verses 14 through 15. Okay, I'll read it. It says, <clears throat> for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Right. And so we were talking about how you can go like into places like the book of Enoch and things, the non-canonical books, and find um, very clear that there was a heavenly family. But really, there's biblical examples where they talk about and they clarify that there was a heavenly family. So right there in Ephesians 14 and 15, thank you, uh, Ernest, Whitney, it says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth, there was a separation of the family. That's why some of the heavenly hosts are called the sons of God. And if you do like a 
a deep down dive into what the Bible talks about in reference to the distinction of angelic beings, the distinction of heavenly beings. Um, they're very distinct. All of them are not called the sons of God. Um, there are archangels, there are watchers, there are, and all of these things are actually called out, not only in the uh, Enochian literature, but it's also called out here in the Bible. And so as we were talking about God in the beginning, talking to talking to the Elohim, um, the, of, the other heavenly hosts that were a part of that discussion and saying, let us make man in our image, not that they had per se, um, um, they were active in making man, but they were active in the discussion, in the decision. And you almost think about it like, hey, I'm going to order a pizza. So everybody in the house, I say, hey, let us order a pizza. And everybody say, okay, let us do that. I may go on the phone and order the pizza all by myself and pick what's on the pizza and bring the pizza. And someone else may ship the pizza and make the pizza. But the, the God was very, he was very loving in the way in which he allowed his heavenly family in on the discussion and, and, and the decision to make natural beings that 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 exuded the nature and the likeness of not only the heavenly beings but god um in the natural and so then we get here to um babel and they're building this tower and then we find that that they are trying to go up against god they're being you know they're trying to make a name for themselves as the apostle called out last week and then we find the discussion happen again you know god is bringing back together his heavenly family and he's saying okay come let us go down um and therefore confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech so the lord dispersed them um from all over the face of the earth and so when when the lord dispersed them and and this is what uh what the apostle clarified even tonight when he talked about them being under gentiles and jews being under the Noah covenant, because before um, the Tower of Babel and the separation of the nations, there was the covenant of Noah. So we were all under the one covenant. We were all still under the initial promise of the woman um, being bringing forth um, a child or seed that will crush the head of the serpent. So that was for all people. All people would be descendants of that, that actual covenant that God made with that woman through that one nation. Um, yet that nation wasn't realized. Like how uh, Apostle said, that was something that was prophetic in nature and it wasn't truly realized when it was spoken. So when this happened, God separated the nations and he separated the nations um, by the sons of God. And so if you look at Deuteronomy 32, um, six through nine, and that one reads um, Deuteronomy 32, six through nine. And then it says, does thus repay the Lord, you foolish, senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. This is where we get into the good part. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. The most high gave the nations their inheritance. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of peoples 
according to the number of the sons of God. And so we find there that God began to separate the people. He fixed the borders according to the number of the sons of God that was in heaven. So at that point, when we tried to do the Tower of Babel, we tried to make our name for ourselves. We tried to circumvent God, make a name for ourselves. God said, okay, if this is what you want to do, I'm taking my hands off. I'm now going to separate you. I'm going to fix your borders and I'm going to place you um, in, in nations by the number of the sons of God. Now you have angelic beings that are now ruling nations that are, are, are acting as God over the nations. And then so we realize later on uh, in the Bible that these sons of God then walked out of their actual, um, um, uh, what they were called to do for lack of a better words. And so God came in and said, okay, now I'm going to get me a nation and I'm gonna separate this nation for, for myself. So sometimes we don't have a clear understanding when we're not reading the fullness of the Bible on why God will go in and separate one nation. God separated that nation so that the promise, like the apostle said, could be continued and, and, and realized, but at the same time, so that through that nation, not only would that nation be saved due to their disobedience, but the, the Gentiles would be saved due to that nation's disobedience, but due to the Gentiles' disobedience, that nation will also be saved. And so in the fullness of that, God would save all people under that Noah covenant and that initial covenant that he gave to Eve and, and the sons of God that, that Jesus would come and now displace because he, he took authority from them. It talks about the authority that, that Jesus comes and takes back and that we will now rule over. And when, when we come into the glory of God, all of those, those sons of God, those angelic beings that once ruled over us. Praise the Lord. <laughs> see, when she, and when you come in with the scriptures, you see, Pastor, when you come in with the scriptures, the hammer just come down. Boom. <laughs> the Holy Ghost confirms his word. Praise the Lord. And I just want to jump in with some of the comments here. Pastor Ferris from Texas. It all intertwines together, old and new. It's all It all completes the prophecy of Christ Yeshua. And Jason Hansman. Yes, that's good. Praise God. Jason is a scribe. He's hiding himself. He's a scribe. We're going to pull him up on the panel one day, but uh, he's hiding himself. He quiet giant behind the scenes, but praise the Lord. Um, now, the, the key piece is God had to pull out a nation to fulfill Genesis 3.15. So if you're picking up Christianity and Matthew, you really don't have a complete picture of what's going on. You see, and so we're here in Genesis talking about stuff that's relevant to you right now. This is not just historical information. This is relevant to you right now. People who have visions about this new world order, people who have visions. Some Christians this day still don't get the new world order. They, they still think that it's extremist belief on some. Some Christians are extremists and and they and they think on an explain what the new world order is or the idea of the new world world order to those who may not know what even that discussion is because i know like for some people like me like i know what the new world order is but i stay like out of a lot of these a lot of discussions that may constantly bring these type of things up so i think it would be beneficial to anybody who don't know what that is like what what is the new world order and then how does that now connect to um 
this this biblical idea of the Tower of Babel. Praise the Lord, and I and I want to I want to say that that's very powerful in and of itself because the concept of the new world order, a lot of people get caught up in families and money power. They're looking at it in the natural. They're not looking at it in the spiritual. In the spiritual, man, when he fell from grace, wanted to exalt himself to a high place. He stoked along by the demonic principalities who were at war with God over his decisions. God confused the languages of the Tower of Babel because he was like, I can't let you do this right now. If I let you do this, my plan won't play out the way I want it to. And we need to understand about the omniscience of God. So to God, everything has already happened. It's all happened in the mind of God. For us, it's we're in linear time. So we're it's evolving. It's, it's manifesting. But to God, it's done already. And he could see that their desire to thwart because the Tower of Babel is the new world order. You see, that's the one world order. See, the new world order is really the one world order. So it doesn't really have much to do. And I'm even going to give credit to even mention these family names that some Christians get caught up in trying to attack. And the conspiracy theories that some Christians get caught up in. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Okay. The reality is that man had it in his mind to build a one world order. God did not let him build a one world order when he wanted to originally because it interfered with his prophecy. After certain parts of his prophecy was fulfilled, he revealed, I'm going to let you have your heart's desire. I only interrupted you temporarily because it was interfering with what I was planning to do. But a day is coming. Gog of Magog. In the book of Revelations, it talks about Gog of Magog, where all the nations surround Israel. Some people think it's literal Israel. Some people think it's spiritual Israel. We'll get to that in eschatology. That's year four. Stay tuned. <laughs> we don't do eschatology here. But I will say that the new world order is the one world order. It's the world order they wanted back in the Tower of Babel that God didn't let them have. So all this is, is full circle. This is what the wickedness of man will lead to. God steps in where he has to, to rectify the situation enough to lay foundation for what he plans to do. And then he, in the end, is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. So I like the way the pastor said, I don't, I don't get into some of these discussions I don't get into none of them because they get caught up in the politics of this world instead of the supernatural politics of the revelation of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord. Um, if anybody would like to add on to that, so so be it. If not, we'll move on to Isaiah. If anybody wants to add. Um, I just want to say the way that uh, Pastor C was able to break down the, um, the, the fallen angels, that I think that's the best uh breakdown i've ever heard in, in my entire life of that that was a it was excellent um flawless um it even actually opened up some things for me so i'm like dang yeah that's that's okay okay because you're right different um different spiritual beings do have different descriptions in the bible and a lot of people just group them all everything is one and and that's not necessarily true 
um, as we saw in the garden when he put the cherubim down there to protect the, uh, I think it was the tree of tree of life. I forget which tree it was, but yeah. So thank you for that. That was, that was just beautiful and impossible that you're exactly right. Everybody tries to put this new on it, but really as, uh, King Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. So it really is the old world order. The, the original Tower of Babel, which they're trying to to complete. So thank you. I'm 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 learning a lot here, guys. Thank you so much. Praise God. Well, that's 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 Pastor Moana over there. <laughs> that's a that's an inside joke between that's me and the pastor. God, man. <laughs> I keep saying I keep getting Mulan. I get the my kids watch them all. I'm sorry, Mulan. Pastor Mulan. I kept I meant Mulan. I'm sorry. That's Pastor Mulan. It's a it, we're saying this. Um, it's an inside uh, joke, y'all. It's an inside joke. You ain't got a little inside joke. Because <laughs> she 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 quick to save the emperor, boy. I tell you, <laughs> not the emperor of this world, but the emperor of Christ. Praise the Lord. So, um, the 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 thing that I like about this. How many of and, and I'm, I'm talking to the panelists, but you guys can answer also in the through the chat. How many of us have noticed whenever we travel? Anybody's ever gone from state to state or country to country? I'm talking to those of you that have spiritual senses and have noticed princip different principality dominions in different physical remens in, re in different regions. Anybody ever felt that you travel from one region to another region? And you have a sense of a different principality dominating over that region. I think I think Pastor AK can tell you um, about when I used to travel to New Orleans for work because I, I, I work for the government full time outside of pastoring. And I used to travel to New Orleans for work. And so every time I would come home, he would like, as soon as I would come through the door, he was like, he's like, you bringing a spirit back. Like it's a spirit that followed you. He said, it, it is a strong. So you tell them like how you used to feel when I would come home. Cause he would like pray over me. Like he would literally pray over me as I was coming through the door. Um, and then it made me kind of think more in detail as I went down there, the things and the places that I was staying at, because it's such, it's such a strong spirit of witchcraft down there. But yeah, it definitely is. Um, if I could just really remember when she used to come home at times, I could just sense it, you know. You have the spirit of discernment, of course, being a child of God, but um, you can just sense the spirit. I sense the spirit that was on her. Sometimes it might be on her face, or I can just see it just kind of linger around her. Now, she wasn't possessed or nothing like that, but I could see that spirit just trying to linger on her to come into the house. So I just, times when I sensed it, I just told her, you know, like, let's go into prayer, this, that, for the third, but um, especially in New Orleans, like she said, it's like, it's all kinds of spirits going around. It is. It's so it's, it's so it's definitely a principality there. It's definitely a heavy spirit. And even as a witchcraft, me being a truck driver, when I even go from state to state, mm -hmm. like I just I've come across so many different types of spirits and different people to where it's gonna I got time to make an eye contact with the people, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And in just so many different states, it's just like it just shows you how wicked man is. It just mm -hmm. shows you how these spirits are really out here, these demonic oppression, these demonic spirits really be lingering on people. And a lot of them don't even know that they're being demonically oppressed. Mm -hmm. Of course, they don't have a relationship with Christ, but they don't even dig it. Like they think it's them with the nasty attitude. They think it's them with the racism, with the just the lust, or with the pedophilia, things like that. But it's a spirit that's lingered on you. And I'm just thankful that we can actually see that as children. Yeah, of God, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, yeah. And uh, that's why the Bible says <laughs> a person 
by the fruits that they bear. And you can mm-hmm. tell if that person was bearing bad fruits if they got their spirits on. Come on, man. Come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so this feeds in, and I have to concur with Ernest that the way you broke down that whole dominion piece was the best I've ever heard it broken down before. In fact, I have to say that in the past, I've struggled with certain ways that people have broken it down and thought it to be heretical. You're the first person that's brought any kind of real orthodoxy to that viewpoint of theology. So I just want to say to those of you who are watching and those of you watching recordings, because there's so much contrived ministry that goes on, I have to always put these disclaimers out here. Nobody here is a brown noser. So I'm just letting you know that right now. Ernest ain't going to affirm somebody just to be affirming them. I don't affirm people just to be affirming them. And uh, Pastor C and Pastor AK don't affirm people just to be affirming them. So if you hear a spirit of agreement, it's not because we got together and we're walking in some kind of uh, social agreement. This is a spiritual testimony of the communion of the spirit of God. Amen. But so we've covered now so far Genesis chapter one over the last two weeks, last two lessons, we've covered Genesis chapter one all the way up to Genesis chapter 11. And we can see the relevance of these scriptures to us today. They're relevant to us today because they bring an enlightenment to us today. It is for the lack of the proper understanding of some of these points that our people die due to a lack of of knowledge. So praise the Lord. Um, and thank you for the affirmations, uh, uh, um, uh, brother, brother Hansman. Um, thank you for the, the accolations in the spirit. Uh, but let's now look at Isaiah chapter 54. We're not going to actually read it. Some of you should have read it already. For those of you who are auditing the class, take some time to read Isaiah chapter 54 through 55, five, but God makes a reference about him being a husband taking us back to Genesis 3.15, amen, where he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. So that people think the woman is Mary. Now, woman, Mary is the mother of Christ, literally, but prophetically, he was referring to the nation of Israel. For the nation of Israel became God's representator, representative for mankind. Israel represents man. Jesus, Yeshua, is the son of man born through the nation of Israel. His mother was the nation of Israel. His father was God. The vessel used was Mary. So venerating Mary has no found scriptural foundation whatsoever. It has no historical first century apostolic foundation whatsoever. Exalting Mary to a position of some sort of deity or some sort of special role beyond the blessing she received. In fact, they said, Christ himself said it, blessed is the womb that gave you birth. And Christ said, no, more blessed is he whose name is written in the kingdom of heaven. So Christ himself denounced the idea of venerating his biological mother to some exalted position other than the very honor she already received, which was to be his mother. Praise God. And so um, when you read Isaiah, now when you read a lot of these prophetic books and you hear these references to wife and references to divorce and you're getting confused because how many have gotten confused? You say, I give you a certificate of divorce. Why is God giving the nation of Israel a certificate of divorce? They're not married. They had a covenant. You God, they're your people. Divorce. Oh, we must be just using a general metaphor. No, he's referring to Genesis 315. 
When he says in Isaiah 54, when he talks about him saying, you're like a barren, you're like a barren woman or an abandoned wife. He's referring to Genesis 3.15. So you can see why we're spending so much time here in this book of Genesis, because when you understand Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, a lot of things open up to you. Spiritual warfare, demonic principalities, um, God's attitude towards social justice, the binding contract that God gave to man in regards to how man should treat one another, whether he feels religious or not, whether he wants to acknowledge God or not. What, what was man originally created for? How he fell? What's the plan to restore him? All right there. And we haven't even yet got to the apostolic scriptures. So let's jump. Part of our reading lessons today was Luke chapter 1 through straight through to verse 80 and okay. there it talks about sorry go ahead yes i'm sorry before you jump there i just wanted to i think it would be beneficial for uh you to read isaiah uh 7 through through 10 only because you talked about the barren woman you talked about the promise you talked about how israel was the promise and how god kept his covenant and i think there really i think for people online it will be beneficial for them to see how he kind of talks to Israel in reference to that covenant in, with Noah and how he talks about even though he was angry with them for a time he won't he will not abandon the covenant amen and I'm going to read saints from the new international version I know there's a lot of conflict about that version especially the 2011 version but I'm reading from the 1984 version and I happen to think it's in plain English so the plain English I like so um, if you'd like to read it in your King James Version or your New American Standard Version, I study all different versions and all different translations. So I'm comfortable with how it reads here. And we're going to read Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to start in verse 7. He says, for a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you, but for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah. When I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth, so now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor will my covenant of peace be removed to you, says the Lord of compassion. Um, I, I'm going to stop there. Did you, will you encourage me to read further? No. Um, I think that's it. It's 10. You said 7 okay. through 11. Yeah, 7 through 10. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think that's good. I just think it was it's good for, for everyone to kind of hear how the scripture just confirmed everything that you were saying in one in one chunk about Noah, about the promise, about you know Israel being talked to as a bride in compassion, in my steadfast love for you, even though I abandoned you. I will not, just like the days of Noah, I'm not going to, he said, in my covenant of peace shall not be removed from you. That covenant of peace that God made with Noah will not be removed from Israel. And so I just think it was beautiful how 
you talked about that transition, but the scripture clarified that 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 covenant of peace that you were talking about in reference to Noah is actually a covenant outside of those laws that 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 the Jews inherited through Leviticus by God that that Noah covenant still transitioned on them as well. And so I just thought that was beautiful and I thought like the way in which you explained it, I love the way the scripture fully confirmed it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And saints, you know, there's so much to be learned here. So much to be learned here because me and the pastors in earnest do not sit around discussing this in a great detail. I'm going to give you a little back office. We get on the be live at one to pray, to outline the subject matter. We don't rehearse, talk about how we're going to stay in agreement. <laughs> That's all contrived projection of men. We come online and we allow God to move. Where do you see that? Where do you see that? Where do you see saints coming online like this in, 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 as a body, unrehearsed, unprepared, with no uh, allegiance other than the allegiance that binds us in the spirit? Amen. Speaking like this and revealing the sacred secrets of the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you as an apostle, and I'm being very serious right now, um, I've been under a lot of fire over the course of the years um, about how I speak out about the church. But it's for the lack of this that I speak out against the church. A free divinity college, publicly available online, with people giving of their time freely, <laughs> opening themselves to be revealed. God gave me the vision. I met the pastors after the fact. God revealed to me their role. I said, you know what? Take a class. You're going to be part of making the class <laughs> because of what God's doing in your life. Now, if I had taken the position, well, this is my Bible college and I'm the apostle. So what we're going to do is y'all going to sit down and you're going to just listen. Then you would have never got that whole revelation that she gave about principalities and how God uh, put the sons of men, sons of God over different regions while he then selected one nation for himself and said, I'm going to finish my plan through this group right here. Y'all going to work with that. Now, you would have never got that because I didn't know that. You see, I didn't know that. I didn't have that revelation. This is the power of allowing the body of Christ to operate as God intended instead of individual men getting pig-headed and dominant and then they want to act like they know everything. And then they want to lord it over everybody to, to the ruin or to the benefit. But they could care less either way, long as they're in charge. Yeah, that's that spirit of ego. Yeah. That's what a lot of, man, that's what a lot of people in the body of Christ suffer with, that spirit of ego that they never even surrender unto God. Come on. And the crazy thing is that what God is doing, how he's orchestrating this, there's no, it's not going to be an excuse. When he does come back, it can't be no apostle who wasn't obedient, wasn't a pastor that was walking out and just They can't sit here and say, well, Lord, you didn't show me the right way. Well, yes, I did. Remember that school I had in 2020 that was mm -hmm. doing it the right way? That was your chance to really see how I want you to do it in the spirit. Come on. But since you was full of your ego and full of yourself thinking it was you doing the work. Come on. You ain't got no excuse. Come on. That scripture you 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 preached on the day yeah, was uh, awesome. Philippians, um, 213. Mm -hmm. Philippians 2.13 and it, it talked about it's like that he gave me revelation on that like some like how you said apostle 
how we let our egos, our pride, and all those things get in the way, and not realizing that it ain't even us. And that hello, hello, Philippians two, chapter chapter two, verse thirteen. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And the crazy thing is how we even me and my wife we even discussed this chapter how the Lord will give you the desire to do what you're doing right now, Apostle. A lot of people who, when they begin to walk in the will of God, they be thinking, like, is it me that's doing the work? Is mm -hmm. it me that's going to be preaching? Is it me that's going to be praying over your children? Because even when I first became a pastor, I didn't have the desire to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was walking in fear. Mm -hmm. But when I had I had to really surrender unto God, give him my fear, give him all of my doubts. And I really, this scripture breaks it all down. Come that on. he gave me the desire Come on. to do what I'm doing now, walking into my calling wholeheartedly, walking into my calling, operating out of the fruit of the spirit by mm -hmm. submitting unto the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And it takes you to surrender, yo. Yeah. Like when she was saying how... A lot of uh, apostles or pastors, they will say, I want to do it. I'm in charge. That's their mm -hmm. ego. Mm -hmm. What's they pride come before the fall? Pride come before the fall. But I love the way that that scripture says, not only the desire, but the power. But the power. The desire and power. And power. So you can't, mm -hmm. anytime you do it separate from him, you lose power and you're operating in your own desire. Amen. And so when you are allowing the Lord to work through you, as the Amen. scripture says, then he gives you the right desire that aligns with his will. And then he gives you the power um, 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 from the Holy Spirit, the Amen. spirit of power, love, in a sound mind. Amen. So he gives you that power. He gives you that desire. So then you can do what? What pleases him. And Amen. so your works begin to please him. And so, Apostle, what you're doing here, yes. you know, staying in the will of God, allowing the Lord to work through you so that you can do his desire, your desire aligns with his, and he's giving you the power through it, not only through the Holy Spirit, through you, but the power of fellowship to do what pleases him. And so I think it's beautiful, and I, I just love what's happening here. Praise the Lord. And uh, uh, Brother J uh, Jason Hansman put in the comments, uh, Pastor, thank you for sharing this. I needed to hear this. Thank you. And I, I want I want to just say that he's another brother that we're going to be coming into community with. A brother, uh, uh, Jason, uh, is another brother we're going to be coming into community with, and we're going to have a, a meeting to discuss pulling him up on the panel as well, because uh, I, God is revealing to me that he has insights to share with the body as well. For those of you who saw the orientation for the Divinity College, you, you saw that section where I said that one of the problems we saw with seminaries is that they lacked the flexibility to evolve as the Spirit of God guided them, that they got caught up in a curriculum, and then they're so bent on their curriculum that they try to make their curriculum see like it's the panacea of all wisdom. And then when God tries to speak, if it don't line up with their curriculum, they shut him down. Okay, and so here's part of where that part that we talk about in the orientation is a flexibility, which is why I told all of you who were taking the class, taking the school to go in and look at the orientation, because the, the, the PowerPoint presentation really outlines what God was revealing to me about the failing of seminary schools in the past, because they kind of like I said, it's not just the ego of the individual leading. It's also the ego of the ego of the institution being unchangeable and unmoldable by God. OK, I didn't know that God was going to send the pastors. I didn't know God was going to send uh, Brother Jance, uh, Brother Jason, too, who we might pull up on the panel. I didn't know that God was going to empower Ernest in the way that he did. And so 
<laughs> Ernest put the chat seminary equals cemetery. Praise God. <laughs> right. Because when you and that feeds into what the pastor said, when you separate from God's will, you lose the power because you're functioning in your own desire. So your seminary, which was supposed to bring life, is now bringing death. Praise the Lord. So beneficial state that this is not a bashing of seminary. Right. There are that you know the Lord sent certain people to go to certain institutions to learn the word of God and understand it. Remember, Paul was learned, the rest weren't. You know what I mean? The disciples that were walked with Jesus were considered unlearned. Paul was a Pharisee. He he was up to be a Pharisee, up to be a Pharisee. He was in line. He was um being taught by one of the top Pharisees of that time. So he was learned in the scripture and he would have been, if you were talking about somebody coming out of seminary school and then being hit with the gospel and had right. to now take what he learned um, in reference to the, the, the Judaic, um, 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 the Judaic, give me the word apostle, uh, <laughs> Under the Judaic schooling, let's just put like right. that, that word. And yes, he had yes. to take that, and now he had to bring clarification to the Jews who only understood what was happening in Judaism in reference to the scriptures, and now take that learnedness and then connect it to the revelation of the Messiah. And, and just like Jesus did, Jesus was constantly going through scripture and revealing himself through scripture about himself. And so Paul then took on that, uh, Paul did t then took on that task of doing the same thing. And so uh, we're not bashing seminary, but what we are saying is that in many times it is done wrong and it is not inclusive and it is not available um, to the people of God. And, and, um, and so it ends up like the apostle said, becoming a, a, a place for you to die versus a place for you to flourish understand the true um message of the bible which is the story of jesus christ like the apostle has been explaining from the beginning all the way to the end praise the lord praise the lord so for the sake of the recording this is recorded by the way and will be on the youtube channel um you, you'll see postings for how to connect with this through the youtube channel it also stays on my page for prosperity so you can always just scroll down my page be easier to connect to it through the youtube so if you wanted to see the previous classes you can we're actually only on lesson two but if you wanted to see the orientation and lesson one it is also on that youtube channel but we're going to press through to the last part here we're talking now about the birth of John the Baptist foretold in Luke chapter one, verse one through 80, and the birth of Jesus foretold and the birth of John the Baptist. So of course those scriptures are read and reread many times, but some of the significant pieces I think for me is that John's, John's, John's parents, right? Uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth and uh, Zachariah. Um, the meaning of Jack Zachariah, the actual meaning of his name and the meaning of Elizabeth's name, when you combine it together, means God remembers his oath. <laughs> God remembers his oath. And that's very, very powerful. Um, she, uh, Rila, Rila is asking for the link to the YouTube. Um, I don't know why on my end I can't post it, but Ernest, if you could post the YouTube link. Uh, on the chat because real is asking for it in the chat 
but um, and it's also be a podcast as well. We just have to put the lead in the podcast so they also know how to get the stuff that they weren't able to see um, that they can hear and see it as well. So, um, but Zachariah and Elizabeth's name, when you combine it, means God remembers his oath. And I have to believe that that's God saying, here's John, I'm sending him, even though for 4,000 years, you really have to understand the oath I made back in Genesis. I remember my oath. I haven't forgotten. Here's John. He's going to proclaim the coming of my son. So um, uh, uh, if uh, I know some of the brothers and sisters from the Torah Club uh, just recently experienced this, but that's what Zachariah's name means. God remembers. And um, Elizabeth's name means oath of God. <laughs> so God remembers his oath. That's powerful piece. And then it also foretells the birth of Jesus. And then, of course, it talks about the birth of John. Did anybody want to share anything on Luke chapter 1 through the 8th verse? I want to talk about John real quick. Um, John the Baptist, right? And, um, like, when you're walking in the will of God, and this guy, I think about this sometimes, like, when you're walking in the will of God, how a lot of, some people, when they're preaching or something like that, how you try to make it seem like, the will of God is always good. There's prosperity, there's riches and gold, this, that, to the third. But when the Lord calls you to be obedient, but at the end of that obedience may cost you your life. And if it's just, it's crazy to me how the only way you can be content with that is if you're really in relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Because like, like me, I, if I put myself in John's shoes, like if I was like, I'm not saying now, because I'm more obedient than I was then and my relationship was more better than it was years ago. But years ago, if I was walking in John's shoes and I did all of this, I was spreading the gospel, but come to find out I'm about to get my head cut off. I'll be like, yo, like I did all this, Lord, but now I'm about to die. But it really takes relationship with the Lord in order to even until death, if it's called until death in your life, to just take the gospel all the way until you die. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, I just think that's just so important in the relationship with the Lord, having a relationship with him while walking into your calling. It's just so important just to be in relationship with him because you don't know exactly where God's going to take you. You don't know exactly where you're going to preach at, who you got to pray over this after the third, or even, even until death. It just takes just a level of just of intimacy with God to be content with that. Mm -hmm. And I seriously take my hat off to John. Like, mm -hmm. seriously, mm -hmm. like, real rap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else want to share on that section of Luke before we read the last part of the reading for today? Um, I really think about um, when I think about Luke and I really think about the, the John the Baptist and really Zachariah, how the promise came through um, through that lineage and, and God remembered his oath, but the crazy thing about it is that even when God told um, his wife that she would have that baby um, and he had to end up being muted because of his disbelief, you you constantly find places in the Bible where these are people that are, are, are given the word to understand the word, to understand the miracles of God, to understand what God will do through people to understand the fact that God keeps his promises and not only the promise that the Messiah would come through her, but it was the promise that she had been a barren woman asking as well for a child and God kept his promise. So it's like he says, I remember my oath um, in the both of them, but he was also keeping his promise on even a more intimate level 
in reference to them individually. So God's greatest accomplishment is when he remembers those intimate oaths in order to carry out his master plan. And so I think um, I think that's the beauty of of what I see there really just in that that first beginning piece where God is saying you didn't even trust me to to not only am I going to use you to for my master plan and bringing my son um, and bringing your son forth to bring um, to make the way for my son. But um, I'm also going to keep that intimate oath, just like Noah with that bow with that reminder that intimate piece that um i forgot the young lady that talked about that but that relational piece that god is always conscious of i'm also in the midst of that i've kept you barren for a time like this and so um like you said apostle i think it's, it, it ties back into everything you know god talks about that barren woman prophetically in the, in the nation of israel and it's amazing how he had used a barren woman to then bring forth a child that would then make the way for Mary and so um to, to for Jesus Christ through uh through Mary's womb and so I just think it's just interesting all the way across the board you can constantly find the story reiterating itself praise the Lord praise the Lord and I want you saints to understand that if it looks like we went in heavy on Genesis and then we got more sermon more like a sermon when we moved to Isaiah and Luke, understand that uh, this through the Bible in one year has two segments. Uh, for those of you who are participating in the school, we also are going to be using this book. You're going to need it as of next Sunday. As of next Sunday, we will start adding segments from this book. It's called Training for Service by Oren Root. Okay, for those of you who may be listening to this to a podcast, there will be an ISBN number uh, posted so that you can know the ISBN numbers for the books. Um, also, we're going through uh, through the Bible in a year. So we're going to actually re-traverse over some sections of Genesis, and we're also going to go into the Gospels as part of this movement. This is a book written by Dr. Alan B. Stringfellow. So um, we, we, we have, we're heavy in this Genesis piece, as we're doing the Torah aspect of the Institute study, but we're also going to go through the Bible in a year. And we're also going to study covenant theology through uh, training for service. So that's going to take us through the gospels. And then that's when there's going to be a heavy focus in the gospel. So as we walk through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then we press forward to the prophetic books and the books of history. And as we press even further to the apostolic scriptures, by the time we get there, we're going to go in heavy on some other aspects as it pertains to the gospel. So if you felt today was Genesis heavy and uh, gospel light. It's because we're going to go in heavy on the gospels, but by that time you'll have such a strong foundation. We'll be able to go in light on the Torah portions because you'll already have been well-versed in those areas. It's always good to learn things from the foundation. It helps you, allows you to put things together well. So um, we have one last scripture to read, and then I want to open it up a little bit because when we're so constricted to the text, and the material, we don't always allow for the spirits to flow. And if you haven't figured it out already, the pastors have a powerful apostolic anointing uh, and they have a powerful prophetic anointing. Ernest also has a powerful apostolic and pastoral anointing. And so there's a lot of power being released here and there's gonna be a lot of elevation, a lot of fruitfulness that's gonna come out of this. And so 
I want you to be able to get a little taste of that. Okay, so we're going to go past the material. But um, if uh, Ernest, if you could read the, the last segment, which is Luke 17, 20 through 27. Okay, can you guys hear me? Yes. You said uh, Luke 17, 7 through 27, correct? No, no, 17, 20 through 27. Oh, I'm sorry. 17, 20 through 27. <clears throat> Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of mm, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after him. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the, the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it, is, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, and marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. That's, 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 that's 23, 27. Yes. Okay. Praise God. So um, I want to just um, say that there was this big concern about the kingdom, but there was this big ignorance about the true nature of the kingdom. And this big ignorance about the true nature of the kingdom prompted all of these questions. Okay. And the questions were linked to them believing that it was a natural kingdom to be naturally restored naturally at that time. They were waiting for the Messiah to do a Moses-like act, free them from the Romans. They, in their mind, Moses took us out of Egypt. The next Messiah is gonna take us from the Romans. When Jesus didn't come with that in mind, they had a lot of problems with him. Now, I'm not, uh, we're, we're in college, so you're trying to learn this from an enlightenment at a higher level of learning. But the one thing that can't be escaped is that man consistently throughout scripture keeps misunderstanding God's motives, keeps misunderstanding his strategy, keeps misunderstanding his plan, Part of their excuse was that they did not understand Genesis 3.15. But now that which has been hidden has been revealed. God's intention always was to restore his children back to the glory. For in the sixth day, God created man. In the seventh day, God rested and declared it holy. But then in Hebrews, it says, but we did not enter his rest and we did not enter his holiness. So yet there is still a Sabbath rest for the children of God. So I want to, uh, that scripture ties in because in Noah's time, man did not understand what God was trying to do. And God ended up destroying everything. And now once again, 
God is going to destroy that which is not of him because again, his people die due to a lack of knowledge. They don't understand. Now, as you study the scriptures, you will see this is a repeated story. This story keeps repeating itself over and over again. Most of us would get tremendously frustrated if we had to keep telling people the same thing over and over again. It's like, when are you going to get it? Even the apostles at some point had said, I long to discuss this faith that we share, but I feel obligated to talk to you about contending for the faith. Most people don't understand what he was saying, so I'll break it down in some common terms. I was going to go in deep with you, but after the reports came back to me, I realized I got to keep on giving you milk and teaching you the basic principles of Christianity all over again because we are slow to learn. I contend that the reason why we're slow to learn is we're not still properly understanding Genesis 3.15. I'm calling you back to the day of rest. I'm calling you back to enter into my holiness, the holiness you never entered because you sinned and fell from grace. It is Jewish custom that man was born and died in the same day, figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking. He didn't die in the same day physically because Adam was allowed to live to be 900 and something years old, but he did die figuratively in the same day and spiritually speaking, but he literally took longer to die, but he died spiritually the same day. Every time you pick up your word to learn, whether it's in this college, whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in church, every sermon you hear, Apply it to the plan of God, the great passion and love of God, which is to call his children back to himself. So it's not about who's the deacon and who's the pastor and who's church and who's getting the tithe and who ain't getting the tithe and who got the bigger church and who got the smaller church and who got the bigger numbers and who got the less numbers or who's jealous of who and who's on top of who and who got what title. We got to stop thinking like they were thinking. What? Like the Pharisees. When will the kingdom of God come? Well, the kingdom of God is not going to come with striking observableness. Because 2,000 years ago, the kingdom of God was among you. And now, if you're a born-again Christian, the kingdom of God is within you. Let us not be ignorant like these folks were ignorant. And repeated their ignorance over and over again. Let us be content in our hearts with the intention that God had for us, and then we will wake up in him in a spirit of righteousness. So I'm going to leave it here now for the closing with, um, I'm going to allow the pastors to share either whether it be on this segment or any revelatories or prophetics that they have to release. I'm going to allow the pastors to do that. Then uh, Ernest, if you have any final words as well, and then I'm going to ask if the pastors can close us out in prayer. Uh, Before we do though, because Pastor Jen's my wife, I'm going to just say this. We thank Pastor Jen for, she's not being seen on the screen, but she is actively sharing Uh, and she's working on the chat and she's sort of monitoring that. It's the way that we can function to do this properly. So she's behind the scenes doing a lot of great work. And I'm actually gonna just thank my wife for that effort that she's doing as well. And then I release it to the pastors.
Um, I, I do have um, a comment in reference to uh, what you were talking about in reference to just uh, what they thought the kingdom of God was going to look like. And so, you know, we like to talk about the gospels. You know, we like to talk about what what is the gospel message. And we find in Matthew, we like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we, we constantly say that those are the gospels. But when we preach the gospel, or we teach the gospel, we teach forgiveness of sins. We teach just the cross. And we say the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for your sins and now you're forgiven. But if that was the case, then we really wouldn't get the true gospel until after Jesus died, right? But the truth in the gospel is that the gospel message is that the kingdom of God is at hand. It came. The kingdom of God was revealed through Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, we are now the, the covenant or the um, realization that you said in reference to the beginning in Genesis has now been completed. And so now the belief has to be in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is that kingdom um, that has come. And has 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 um, what do you call it? Um, fulfilled the law and fulfilled the scriptures and fulfilled the covenants. And as we believe in Him, who is fully God, who is fully man, who is the Messiah, then we now inherit what He did on the cross in reference to our salvation. So the gospel began the day that Jesus Christ was born, the day that God began to fulfill what he promised in reference to the kingdom of God uh, manifesting through Jesus Christ. So I think we have to have a clear understanding of what it means to have the gospel message um, that yes, we were outside of the will of God. There was a payment that was needed and we want to just say Jesus died for our sins. But, you know, Muslims believe that Jesus, you know, um, uh, atoned for sin. Um, but do they believe that he was fully God? And so that's the disconnect that you have with a lot of faiths. They believe that that Jesus even walked the earth, but a lot of them don't believe in the deity of who he truly was. He was the son of God. He was the fulfillment of the scriptures. He was fulfillment of the covenant. And so he was a fulfillment of the law. And so as we understand the gospel message, we have to understand that all things were fulfilled through him. That's the good news. The good news is that it was all fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And because of him, that is the good news. He's the good news. Jesus is the good news. Everything that he fulfilled in and of himself is attached to him. That is the good news. That is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. The word is Jesus Christ. Grace is Jesus Christ. And so without him, we have no other message. And so we have to understand in that 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 message in its fullness. That's my baby. You go ahead now, Millie. <laughs> my pastor's in my way. <laughs> Yo. You're horrible. I'm embarrassed now. I can't even say nothing else. Ernest, did you want to share something before we close? <laughs> Praise God. Can y'all hear me? Yes, we can hear you. 
Okay, good. Praise God. Um, that was a uh, that was a beautiful breakdown. That was actually one of my questions when I first got to the uh, when I first got to the church. Like when I came out of my wilderness season, I went to an actual church. I said, "Why do they call these four books the gospel?" When um, I was like, "It, it don't make sense because it, it should all be the gospel." And 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 I, but I, I was coming from a Baptist church, and that's what we was taught. We were taught that those are the gospel. Like Sunday school, I literally remember a test: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like people to this day will tell you read the gospel but anyway. Um. What was I gonna say? Oh, a couple of quick things. Um, if we notice, uh, John the Baptist uh, came in the order of Elijah. And if you notice his battle was with the king, Herod, who uh, was it? it was his wife's daughter, right? Who had, had his uh, head cut off. And if you notice Elijah, when he was here, also had an issue with Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab being the most wicked king of the time, Herod also, being the most wicked king of the time. Just going to show you how uniform um, God is. Also, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah were both of the um, Aaron priest, Aaron lineage. Um, so they were like, like Pastor C was saying, like extra, I don't want to say extra special, but you know, they had, they, their bloodline was, was pure. So, um, and I believe um, that's why the Lord chose to bring John through them. Um, I think that was it. That's all I had in my notes. Great, great breakdown of the gospel and the kingdom being at hand because a lot, I, I, very much so, I was very much a Pharisee. Um, what is this going to look like? Um, okay, God is going to come take me out of this season and take me right into the next season physically instead of um, the way he actually did it through our hearts and actually walked us through through a process. So thank you. Thank you for that today, guys. I was tremendously blessed. So thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Um, Marnus, I do tend to mute your side after because it's a little bit of feedback, but um, so I'm sorry for the little confusion you had. I know you were like, wow, how did I end up muted? I had muted you a couple of times, but praise the Lord. Uh, pastors, you're going to take us home. You have the throne. And when you're finished, you can close in prayer. Father God, we come at your feet seeking you, Lord God. Seeking you for revelation, Lord God. Seeking you for understanding, Lord God. Seeking you for wisdom, Lord God. All of these things come from your throne, Lord God. All of these things come from your feet, Lord God. Lord God, I see them in baskets in front of your throne, Lord God. Waiting to be poured out, Lord God. Just poured out on your people, Lord God. For us to pick through, Lord God. Lord God, you're saying that we don't ask enough for your wisdom. We don't ask enough for your understanding. So we're scattered like wolves, Lord God. Hallelujah. One second. I'm sorry, y'all. Give me a second. The Lord has given me... Um, a vision of him and, and I'm in front of the throne and I see the baskets and the baskets of wisdom, knowledge and understanding. And there is a pointing that is happening. And then you see it's like a small veil and there is fire. And a lot of us are going to be in the lake of fire because we don't want to attach ourselves to wisdom, knowledge and understanding. We don't want to see the true character of God. And so God is saying that the baskets are full and that all you have to do is come to the throne and begin to pull out of those baskets. 
So there is an importance, God is saying, on understanding who he is, the character of God, who God is. And, and the deceitfulness and the deceiving comes when we, do, we don't want to be in relationship with him. And, and the Lord is saying, I'm not talking about surface relationship because there are going to be a lot of people that act on their own will. Hallelujah, Lord God. That goes back to the scripture where God says, I never knew you. And he was saying that not because he didn't know that the person wasn't doing works in the kingdom of God, but they were doing their own will in the kingdom of God. The Lord is saying, will you do my will? If I didn't call you to the stage, but I called you to the bathrooms, will you do my will? If I didn't call you to prophesy, but I called you to write, will you do my will? And a lot of people are doing things outside of their own will, calling it from God because they are anointed, calling it from God because they have a platform. But the Lord is saying, it's not my will. I never knew you. So there is a relationship that we have to come into at the feet of God's throne. And if you don't come into that relationship, if you don't take wisdom, if you don't take knowledge, if you don't take understanding, if you don't take the thing that is Jesus Christ, that 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 grace that comes from the man that is Jesus Christ, then the lake of fire is your portion. So Lord God, I thank you, Lord God. I ask that you begin just pour out your heart on us, Lord God. Soften our hardened hearts, Lord God. I ask that you begin to remove everything that is inside of us that is not like you, Lord God. I ask for a breaking right now in your Holy Spirit, Lord God. I ask for a breaking of egos right now. I ask for a breaking of pride that comes before destruction, Lord God. I ask that you begin to remove pride, Lord God, not even surgically, Lord God, but quickly, Lord God. Some people don't have time to wait, Lord God. Some people don't have time to sit around for years and let their pride be removed. God says it's not about you, but it's about me. God says it's not about your title, but it's about me. It's not about where I'm elevated, but it's about me. And if you're not sitting at my feet, if you're not sitting in communion with me, if you're not giving me every piece of you, then you're going to miss the mark. You're going to miss my righteousness. You're going to miss my holiness. Lord God, I thank you for everything that you are pouring out. I thank you for the man that you're giving your children even in the midst of them not having true food to eat lord god i thank you right now for this class lord god i thank you for the studying that is taking forth lord god i thank you for everything that you're going to release on every individual in this li- in this on this live lord god lord god for the men on this live lord god i ask that you begin to restore the broken pieces, Lord God. You're showing me brokenness, Lord God. I ask for restoration, Lord God. I ask for a building up of godly character, Lord God, to be like you, Lord God, not to be like themselves, not to be like the standard of what a man should look like, but the standard of what you called them to be. Your anointed men, Lord God, with godly character, Lord God, loving you above all things, having a heart of repentance like David, even though they don't get it right, Lord God. They fall back at your feet, understanding where they were in error, Lord God. Lord God, you're calling for men on their knees, Lord God. You're showing me them on their knees, Lord God. Lord God, you're calling for men that is willing to pray to you, to put you first, Lord God. So, Lord God, I ask for restoration. I ask for true relationship. I ask for men that could recline with sinners like Jesus and still be men of God and teach Mm. your word and teach your God. I ask for men that are not afraid to go out and touch the weak. 
Lord God, you're calling out for your men in this season, Father. I thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in the spirit. I thank you for every man that you're crowning. I thank you, Lord God, that you're saying that you're actually coming back for the black community, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God. Father God, I ask for a covering over everything that you have released today. Every demonic oppression, every demon that has been, that has housed itself up in a person, in a believer that is on this live right now, I cast it out in the name of Jesus. That sneaky, lying, deceitful demon, that demon that sits and only shows itself in secret. Lord God, I cast it out in the name of Jesus. That demon that causes confusion amongst the saints, I cast it out in the name of Jesus. That demon that smiles when it's entertained, when it hears theological principles that cannot be understood, I cast it out in the name of Jesus. That Jezebel spirit that is also on our men, I cast it out in the name of Jesus. The one that wants to go out and kill the prophets, Lord God, I cast it out in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. I thank you for your authority. I thank you for the love that you have over your sons. I thank you, Lord God, for revelation. Lord God, now I ask that you give us peace in our hearts. I ask that your Holy Spirit increases like never before. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that the work is finished in you and completed in you through the working of you i thank you father for loving us enough that your will is done in the mighty name of jesus amen amen praise the lord saints before you depart um i'm not going to put it on here because sometimes what happens is um they pick up a song and then they flag it for copyright violation otherwise i'd play that song here so see there is some limit to the be lives and the zoom well the zoom i would have been able to do it no problem but the be lives the social media there are some limitations i know facebook allows certain things to play if you say i am not the owner of this music but i'm not going to take that chance on what was dropped here that it get blocked on social media there's a song called um sitting at my feet it's a very powerful song and while you were praying that song just kept playing in my spirit. Um, I'm going to find the name of it, um, and then I'm going to post it for you. Um, if I don't do it, if I can't find it quickly, then I'll just post it in the chat later. But um, um, it is a very, very powerful song. And that song just uh, kept playing in my heart, sitting, I think the way it goes, sitting at my feet. I'll be at your feet, sitting at your feet, I believe is the name of the song. Um, and um, it's sung by Tasha Cobbs. So I'm sure everybody's familiar with Tasha Cobbs. And it's a song called Sitting at My Feet. That's the name of the song by Tasha Cobbs. And the whole time you were praying, that song kept playing in my head. So I encourage everybody be obedient, okay? When you guys, we disconnect from this, play that song because I believe that song was meant to be played at the end of that prayer. Amen. 
Praise God, saints. We look forward to the next sessions on Wednesday. Again, if you want to join the school, just put a comment there that you want to join the school. We'll inbox you on the Facebook. We'll give you the reading plan. We'll give you the ISBN numbers for the books, and you're welcome to participate with us. Until we meet again, shalom. Praise the Lord. You've just heard lesson two through the Bible in one year. It's a 52 lesson, 52 week course at First Century Christ Church International Divinity College. If you'd like to connect with the college, you like what you heard, connect with us at www.facebook.com slash apostle. And you'll see all the information there on the side where I'll have my additional links, how you can connect with the school. Be blessed. And I hope you have a beautiful day.